All right, welcome back to that 70s card show. I am your host, John Keating, and I thank you for joining me as I take a look back at the cards and the culture of the very colorful 1970s. I'm going to revisit a more simple time in our hobby by taking a deep dive into the sets and the stats with a generous amount of dad facts sprinkled in. That 70s card show is currently sponsored by Nobody. If you want to get in, con- in touch with me, um, reach out to me uh, on Twitter at 70scard or that 70scardshow at gmail.com. I'm also simulcasting this on YouTube, that 70s car show. Um, find me there, leave comments, suggestions, uh, ridicule me, do what you will. I can take it, I'm a big boy. Uh, again, uh, broadcasting also on YouTube, so you may notice I'm wearing a a Boston Red Sox jersey. I uh, don't really follow baseball that much anymore. Sure, I would for the Red Sox or the Phillies, right, if they're playing, but uh, this is more in honor of a gentleman who we'll be talking about a little bit later here. Uh, this is episode 24, and we're going to be talking about the 1979 Topps baseball set. Uh, before we get started here, I'll tell you a little bit about uh, what's going on in my life since we last met. Um, Last Saturday, uh, early October, I guess that would have been October 9th, uh, I attended a show at the Live Casino in Philly. It was uh, promoted by Wheelhouse Cards, which is uh, LCS in the suburbs of Philadelphia on the main line. Uh, Kind of a, uh, yeah, I guess a good first uh, um, shot at it for wheelhouse uh, a lot of modern there mostly modern a lot of uh, you know some pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh stuff like that great good for them not a lot of vintage i did happen to pick up a box that had uh, a couple hundred cards in it uh bulk buy nothing too crazy on my end uh, i guess the, the the worst part of it is the fact that uh, a lot of the cards were in screw downs um, which kind of drives me crazy as does um most everybody else was a good time, good idea at the time, but not so much anymore. Uh, there were some 75 minis in there, which I really appreciated. A bunch of 50 Bowmans. Uh, Mattingly RC was in there from 1984 tops. Um, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, even modern stuff in there as well. So fun little uh, John to pick through, but um, probably, you know, probably not too proud of the deal. It's not something I can say, hey, look what I did. It's more to uh, keep me busy uh, rooting through cards. Uh, middle of the week, Wednesday, Cards with a Story, uh, which is at Cards Story on Twitter, holds a, uh, or hosts, I should say, a uh, basically a free-for-all card sale, a vintage card sale. That's where I get most of my mail day stuff from now. Uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful um, opportunity to look at cards and to buy cards. Obviously, everything's negotiable. You deal directly with a seller. Uh, really fun. Good evening. Um, kind of regret. I regret it every week because I probably spend too much every week, but a uh, really good time. Um, I suggest you guys give it a try on Wednesday nights. Uh, I'll have a mail day recap of that sale along with some other uh, pickups. Uh, middle of the week here. Obviously, the mail's going a little slow, so uh, when I get the bulk of uh, majority of those items, I'll uh, do a little YouTube special over there on the YouTube. Uh, so this is being this episode is going to be released on Sunday. Unfortunately, it's a little later than normal. Had a busy end of week uh, collecting wise. I uh, there was a Facebook Marketplace collection that came up 
massive collection. The gentleman said he had possibly close to a million cards. Uh, pretty much through his price range out there too, right there on his ad, which maybe not a great idea, but anyway, there's a lot of fifties, sixties in there. Uh, a lot of Clemente's, Aaron's, Mazes, uh, all sorts of, all sorts of really fun stuff. Kofax's, Drysdale's, no big hitters like Mickey or, uh, or such, but a lot of really good stuff. Seventies, a lot of seventies stuff with Schmidt rookies. And uh, I know I saw on the picture, one picture, at least five Ricky Henderson rookies, Gwyn, Sandberg, Boggs, Clemens, McGuire, they're all they were all in there, multiples as well. Uh all the way up to I guess there was some uh sodas and uh some other stuff, some modern stuff. So anyway, I whiffed on that purchase by the time I got a hold of the guy about ten or twelve hours after he posted the initial uh offering. Uh he had already had a bunch of stuff lined up, a bunch of showings lined up, and apparently that collection's gone. So uh on Saturday, I headed up to my LCS. I'm still digging through these couple collections that I bought of uh, the 10 gallon bin of of um, cards and uh, another collection I bought uh, last week. So I'm still, or two weeks ago, I'm still digging through that. So I needed some more supplies. Local card shop called What's Hot Cards and Collectibles in Limerick, Pennsylvania. Uh, happened to need some. Uh, monster boxes so i went up there just to get some supplies ended up having a nice conversation with the uh owner mike uh he's got a lot of modern in there an awful lot of modern in fact most of it's modern um we started talking about vintage he said he's got a collection that he might want to sell so anyway a couple hours later i'm digging through thousands of 50s and 60s cards uh tops cards baseball um he had a price. I had a price. Uh, we didn't quite agree to it this week. Who knows? Maybe uh, we'll both come to an agreement. Um, you know, like I said, it's about 5,000 cards from the 50s and 60s, and they're in great shape. But I also have a couple thousand cards from the 50s and 60s. So, you know, do I take on the burden of, of having to resell uh, ones I already have? Good question, right? Age-old question I guess we have. Uh, I'm a bit of at a crossroads right now with my collection anyway. Uh, as I dig through these purchases, uh, I keep accumulating more and more cards from the 90s, the 2000s, the, the 2010s, uh, up to now. Uh, some of them I love. I love the heritage stuff, but there's really so many cards. Where do you start? These, you know, tops put out a lot of cards, a lot of different sets. And I think it's a little crazy myself, so I'm, I'm, I'm probably leaning towards uh, drawing a line maybe at 1990 and, and trying to just get rid of everything from 1990 on up to today uh, might make things a lot easier for me. Um, so that's where I'm at. I, but still, I can't, uh, there's still, there's still some gems in there. So um still digging through and sorting and, and collating and all that stuff. So, uh, you know, tens of thousands of junk wax era cards. I have a lot of them have value. Most of them don't have value as we know, penny cards. Um, there's just too much modern going on. Um, do I keep it? Do I spend the time to sort it? Um, more time you put in, the more money you may get back. So anyway, that's that. Um, let's get on to why we're here, right? We're not here to talk about me and my collection. Uh, we're here to talk about cards, and specifically baseball cards. Uh, in this episode, you guys, judging by the analytics, which is pretty much Greek to me, but... What I can read of the analytics is uh, my listeners love their baseball uh, card talk as opposed to the other sports. Um, sorry, hockey, but we'll get back to you eventually. 
we're going to talk about the 1979 top set here. Now, 1979 was a um, very interesting year for tops. Obviously, we're getting to the end of the decade now. Uh, you know, my opinion, fair estimation is they were kind of running out of gas. Some of the, there was a lot of uh, not a lot of new ideas. They kind of short-armed a lot of the things, a lot of the designs and, and stuff like that. Maybe they were trying to be too cute but or too minimalist, but it, it just didn't work. There was a lot of misfires uh, on that set, if you ask me. Uh, it's a 726-card set, that standard measurement, 2.5 by 3.5, and, and it's the same number of cards as they produced in 1978. Uh, wax packs came in 36 packs per box, 12 cards plus one stick of yummy bubble gum per pack uh msrp was 20 cents uh 16 boxes per case if you were able to do that thing back then i know i wasn't as a 11 year old in 1979 i sure as heck wasn't thinking about buying cases uh they had something called a wax tray which was three 12 card wax packs per tray um msrp was 59 cents on that and there was 192 trays per case i can't even imagine what that would have looked like Anyway, uh, cello packs, 24 packs per box, 18 cards per pack, plus one stick of that gum, uh, MSRP of 30 cents. So there was 15 boxes per case there, too. Uh, so let's go down to the rack packs, 24 packs per box, 39 cards per rack pack, 59 cents was what that would put you out, six boxes per case there. And, of course, the ubiquitous... Tops vending boxes, twenty. Uh, I'm sorry, twenty-four boxes per case, and they were five hundred cards per box. Probably used the same boxes throughout the '70s as they would in the '80s. Uh, kind of an interesting thing about these cards here. I'm going to pop up some stuff on the screen here for those uh, watching at home. Uh, let me get rid of a few things here. So, uh, as you can see, the design is a white border all the way around, pretty much uh, white dominates the whole card uh team name in a banner that runs horizontal across the bottom of the card uh, in this case we have a bob molinero card i don't know why i chose bob molinero but why not right it's a good looking card with uh the old chicago softball chicago white Sox softball uniforms but team name colored banner different colors for each team doesn't necessarily correlate with the team colors as is the case for most tops cards Above that banner is, on the bottom, is a uh, player's name, all in caps, with their position to the right of that. Interesting thing about this set is there's a big old Topps logo right in the bottom left of the card. Uh, the old school Topps with the lowercase hook T, and uh, it's embossed on top of a baseball. So that's in the bottom left of the card, Topps did not have uh, their logo on the front of cards up to that point. They had, you know, if you saw tops, it was the Rookie Cup traditionally would uh, have tops in it, but not the logo, or at least this logo. I don't know whether that was a uh, harbinger of things to come because of the big um, card wars that were about that were on the horizon. Uh, of course, in 1980, they did not have the logo on the front of the card, but thereafter, 81 on, obviously, it behooved them to have their logo on there to differentiate their product. So, Big changes there in Tops. Put their logo out there. Uh, we are Tops. Hear us roar. Um, back of the card has a uh, some of that green ink that we came to love in the 70s. Uh, upper left-hand corner is a baseball with uh, the 
card number in it. Um, on a green bed across the top is the team again, the player's name and their position. Below that, we have the vitals with the height, weight, throw, bat. Uh, there are details on how they were acquired, signed, uh, whether free agent, draft, whatever, and, and how they were acquired also in trades after that. That's on the next line down. Uh, their birth date, uh, where they were born, and their home. I have said before that I love the fact that they have birth places on here because a player could live in the city they play in, but it's really neat to know where they were born. Um, all right, below that we have career statistics, and then we have uh, their, their major league totals. Uh, there was a lot of minor league stats on these cards as well. They weren't shy. Tops was not shy about filling space with minor league stats. But if you were an established player, Tops would just put your major league stats on there. I'm holding in my hand right now a uh, Ed Figueroa card for reference. Uh, Ed, of course, was with the Yankees in 1979 and coming off a couple um, World Series championships in a row there. Uh, on the right of the card is a baseball dates, so it's kind of more dad facts there. Uh, the dad facts before dad facts existed. What happened August 1st, 1903 on Ed Figueroa's card, it says uh, eight giant batters were hit by pitches in a doubleheader. So uh, it's kind of a deep dive into baseball history right there. Pretty cool. And below the, um, you know, as you can see on my screen with Bob Molinaro, uh, below that is a, uh, a bio of the player of their career up to that point. Uh, let's see here. We're going to talk about some subsets and some other things. Before we get there, team cards were traditional um, pictures. They were horizontal cards. Again, a team name and a banner, kind of a more uh, fancy banner here with the manager picture and manager name kind of favoring the left side of the card. Uh, the back of the card, again, that green, that top screen that we love so much is a checklist of the team with the team player's name, their position, and their actual uniform number. And then the little boxes, uh, again, co it, again, that's uh, card, card number, player name, position, and the uniform number of the player, and the little check boxes that you can uh, check off. I uh, have put the Astros picture up there because it's a picture, an outdoor picture of them in front of the Astrodome, which is a pretty cool team card. Uh, the Chicago Cubs, as was their... M.O. during the 70s uh, just had floating head um, floating head pictures on their card. No team portrait, per se. Uh, there was some uh, NL All-Star and AL All-Star recognitions. Uh, NL All-Stars were uh, recognized by above the team name, the player name, and then there was a banner that had NL All-Star um, pink font onto a purple banner. And for the AL, it was uh, yellow font color and a red banner. I uh, pictured here Greg Lazinski of the Phillies in his powder blues and Reginald Martinez Jackson of the Yankees. Uh, checklists were pink on the front, little green checklist across the top, uh, getting the top's logo on there. They didn't, uh, they really didn't stray from their brand at the top's logo, oddly enough. As you can see on the next card uh, that I have pictured, the rookie prospects uh, does not appear on the front, nor does it appear on the front of the um, team cards for some odd reason. I don't know why. So the rookie prospects were, we went back to uh, three bangers here, 
horizontal cards, all all players, three players from each team. The way the series goes is the they're listed alphabetically by their city name, AL first, and then the NL. Three players uh, tr- on these cards, uh, black and white photos. Nobody knows why they would have done this. Makes no sense at all. Um, black and white photos at the tail end of the 70s. Uh, not sure what Topps was thinking at all, but that's okay. Uh, anyway, so uh, again, three players per yada, yada, yada. Um Let's see here. 66 of these cards were double printed due to the set size. Um, what else can we find out here? Now, there's kind of a uh, a uh, some parallel sets here that were branded with Burger King. And uh, I have some of the Phillies. I know there's Yankees ones as well. And they don't have the Burger King logo like they would in the uh, 1980 uh, set. So no... No Burger King logo on the back, but you'll see it says here cards number 23 or lower are not uh, on the checklists, obviously, of the regular issue top set, and they're not error cards. They're just, uh, if you have Phillies or Yankees that are 1 through 23, chances are they're just Burger King cards, and um, if they're like my Burger King cards, they still have French fry grease on the back. Uh, complete set again, 726 cards will run you on a low end for a excellent condition, $200 to a near mint $500 uh, set. Common cards, 10 cents to 25 cents. Uh, the double print cards were 8 cents to 20 cents. And uh, there were uh, actually 727 cards, and, and you'll find out why in a few minutes. Uh, there were 83 rookie cards in this set. Uh, total value of the set, if you were to put it all together $668.40 and the average value is 92 cents so let's go over some of the subsets here uh league leaders here so i popped up some league leaders on the bottom of my uh, screen uh those are cards one through eight they feature obviously the leader from the nl and the al in a horizontal card uh batting average followed by home runs followed by rbis incidentally home run and rbi both feature um, George Foster and Jim Rice. Different photographs they used. I think they actually, uh, maybe I'm fibbing to you, I think they just used a closer version of the Jim, a close-up version of the Jim Rice photograph. Uh, maybe not. It looks it looks that way from a distance, but maybe the bat's missing. Anyway, stolen base leaders were Ron LaFleur and Omar Moreno. Um, your win leaders, Ron Guidry, Gaylord Perry. This is from 78, obviously, but on the 79 set. Strikeout leaders, uh, J.R. Richard and Nolan Ryan. And ERA leaders, Rich Ron Guidry and Craig Swan. So Guidry appeared on two cards. Craig Swan, kind of a, an anomaly in that bunch, as uh, everybody else was a pure stud pitcher except for him. Now, uh, speaking of pure stud pitchers, your firemen were uh, Rich Gossage and Raleigh Fingers, two more Hall of Famers. So Craig Swan, welcome to the big big game there with the uh, big boys. Uh, cards 201 through 206 are your 1979 record holders. Uh, as is the custom during the 70s, Tops would, would put these cards out, and there were some um, greats in there, and there's some obscure players. Obviously, they were reaching and grasping for, for, uh, for some uh, filler it's not all thrill here. There's some filler. So 201 is Mike Edwards, which is um, 
been hailed as having the most unassisted double plays by a second baseman in a game, and he actually tied that record. So not sure it was worthy of a card. Ron Guidry, most strikeouts by a left-hander in a nine-inning game, 18. Of course, that deserves a uh, recognition. J.R. Richard, most strikeouts by an NL right-hander in a season, 303. Pete Rose, uh, keep in mind up to that point, uh, Nolan Ryan, I believe, was still an angel, and Steve Carlton was a left-hander. So J.R. Richard was in some um, high high company right there. Pete Rose was recognized for his 44-game hit streak in 78. Again, grasping here, John Stearns, numbered, card number 205, most stolen bases by a catcher in a season 25. I guess that's great for him, but... Uh, Again, does it wor- is it worthy of a card? Not sure. And then card 206, Sammy Stewart. Uh, seven straight strikeouts by a rookie in his first game. So that's that's kind of neat. Maybe it's been done since. I'm not sure. But uh, it's not the first record you go to when you're uh, telling people how great baseball is. Uh, cards number 411 through 418 are special, very special cards here. These are the uh, season and career record holders for Major League Baseball records, obviously. Um, card 411 is Ty Cobb and George Sisler. Cobb, of course, at that point had the career mark, George Sisler the season mark. Uh, 412 is Hank Aaron and Hack Wilson uh, with the RBIs, um, the big RBI, uh, career RBI and season RBIs. Hack Wilson we'll talk about here in a few minutes. Uh, Hank Aaron and Roger Maris uh, home runs, obviously. Hank Aaron by that time had had the Major League home run career record at 755. Maris still held the season record at 61. Ty Cobb, Rogers Hornsby for batting average. Lou Brock, card number 415, is an anomaly here because Lou Brock held both the season and the career record at that time for stolen bases. So he's got two different photos on that card uh, that you can see on my screen on the upper left. It's one with a batting helmet and one with one of the old uh, old time Cardinals hats with the white piping. Uh, Strikeouts, Nolan Ryan season, Walter Johnson career. That would be uh, surpassed, obviously, by a couple people. Both Carlton and Nolan Ryan would pass surpass Walter Johnson in due time. And then ERA, uh, Dutch Leonard and Walter Johnson again. Uh, Let's talk about the team rookie uh, prospects, uh, 701 through 726. This may be the lamest set of prospects ever issued. Uh, Tops, again, I think was getting a little lazy here. And, um, yeah, just pure laziness, right? There's the, maybe they didn't do the research. Maybe it was just a bad off year, but, uh, pretty much the, uh, only thing you can really say about this group is I guess Pedro Guerrero was in there who had, had, uh, started out with a great, uh, started out great with the, uh, Dodgers and then kind of petered out for whatever reasons. Uh, Bruce Bochy's in there and he's more famous for being a manager than a player. Um, so uh, a couple things about this, um, set here. I'm not going to get, spend too much on the prospects because the prospects were horrible. Like I said, uh, in the 78 all-star game, uh, Freddie Patek was a starter for the American league, but he is missing his all-star designation banner on his card number 525. And, uh, according to night owl cards blog, 43.7 of the cards in this set features someone with a mustache. So yay seventies. Uh, the tops all-star rookie trophies were not included on the cards of the 78 winners. Those 78 winners were Bill Nahordney, 
Dave Revering, Paul Molitor, Bob Horner, Ozzy Smith, Bob Molinaro, Hoskin Powell, Rick Bosetti, Rich Gale, and John Henry Johnson. So uh, no Rookie Cup trophies were embossed on these cards. And uh, again, for the first time, rookie cards were now arranged alphabetically by each franchise's city. Uh, the oddest ball card of the set would have been your Bump Wills card. That's how we ended up with 727 cards. So Bump was mistakenly pictured as a ranger, but um, for some time the print run had him also uh, had a Blue Jays logo on his on his. Um, on his card, so uh, they they rectified their error, that error. So there are two Bump Wills cards. There's one with the Blue Jays and one with the exact same picture with the correct um, correct uh, Rangers designation. And uh, I'm not sure. I think that I'm not sure. There's any kind of. Let me check something right here, real quick. Uh, I guess the corrected Rangers version is worth uh, maybe about two-thirds of what the uh, error one is. So the Blue Jays would run you about buck twenty-five to three, and the Rangers correction would run you about seventy-five cents to two dollars. Um, not not crazy, but uh, you know, kind of a neat little variation to have. Let's talk a little bit about a rookie again here. Let's talk about um, Sammy Stewart. Okay, so. I like to believe that the you know the rookie card craze started in the eighties. Probably Ricky Henderson is the one who got us on that path. And um, you can correct me, Victor, if you like, but that's 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 my opinion. Now here we are, nineteen seventy nine. Nobody was going too crazy about rookie cards yet. We had Sammy Stewart pictured twice here. Okay, so his first card in the set is his uh, record breaking card that I said before, seven straight strikeouts uh, during first game in majors and then later in the set uh, he was featured as one of the Orioles prospects I'm sure the argument would have been um, that his prospects card with the other two gentlemen which is Mark Corey and John Flynn would have been considered his and designated his rookie card but it's kind of amazing to see a player with a full card in the same set as his rookie card so uh, I'm sure that that would have um, led us to um, quite a bit of arguing in the modern times, but thankfully we don't have to worry about that because Sammy Stewart essentially turned out to be uh, nothing. So he may have won a couple World Series. I don't know if he was around in 83 with the Orioles, but uh, really we don't have to have that argument, thank- thankfully. Uh, I want to talk about uh, my boy Reggie Jackson, right? So here's Reggie Jackson. Uh, he is the last uh, base uh, player card in the set, card 700 before the rookie prospects. You can see he's got his all-star designa- designation. Uh, right below him, I have pictured a 1970 Topps baseball card, which is his first card of the 70s, his second card uh, for Topps, 69 being his rookie card. Just look at the difference, Reggie, right? Reggie's fresh-faced and, and uh, swinging a bat in 1970, short hair, green, A's with a nice little baseball vest on and the green sleeves popping out. Uh, young, fresh kid. And then by the uh, 1979, he's got the mustache, the the, the sunglasses. And then, uh, you know, obviously he's with the Yankees at this point. Five championships later and a world of uh, controversy behind him. So kind of a nice little uh, juxtapose there of uh, Reggie early and Reggie later, uh, separated by 10 years. 
Uh, let's talk about the top five cards of uh, the year, if if we shall. Uh, Ozzy Smith made his debut on a Topps card. It was a full-size, uh, full-card rookie card for the San Diego Padres, rocking those kind of, you know, crossing the line between the McDonald's uh, uniform and a, and a baseball uniform with the San Diego Padres. I uh, love that card. I think it's awesome. Um, really nice little rookie card. I've spoken about that before, I think, on my top five uh, 70s cards by year. Uh, $40 to $100 for that card. Uh, that's obviously before his trade to St. Louis with uh, Gary Templeton, who we'll also talk about later here. Uh, Anyway, uh, number two card is Paul Molitor, uh, card number 24. That's a 10 to $25 card. It's his first uh, solo card, rocking a great-looking Brewers um, two-tone helmet and fat pinstripe Brewers home uniform. Uh, card number th- top three, card number three, uh, your card number 115, your Nolan Ryan, 8 to $20. Uh, Noli is uh, probably the last year as an angel. In a wind-up there, in a nice posed picture. Uh, card number 330 is George Brett in a great action photo at third base, and it's an 8 to $20 card as well. Um, high, high, high pants and uh, even higher uh, old-school stirrups. Not the new-school stirrups, but the old-school stirrups. Looking good. Uh, card number 5 and 6 are tied. They're both Philadelphia Phillies. Michael Jack Schmidt, card number 610, $6.15. And card number 650 is Peter Edward Rose. Pete Rose is pictured as a Reds player. He would be a Phillies player that year, 1979. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about some rookie cards here, top three rookie cards. Uh, Again, the Wizard of Oz, um, card number 116, $40 to $100 is your top card. And then there's a bit of a drop-off there, like I said earlier. Card number 718 is Bruce Bochy, Mike Fishlin, and Don Pisker, the Houston Astros uh, rookie prospect cards. It's a $2 to $5 card. I mean, that's pretty sad when that's your best rookie prospect cards. Uh, Tops hit a lot on uh, the previous previous seasons, right, with those uh, f- those four bangers uh, from 75, 76, 77, 78. There was, there was always somebody in those um sets that was worth uh, those those rookie cards it was it was worth it but here Bruce Bochy uh world series manager for I believe probably the Giants right my modern days fail me again and uh that's it uh your third uh, most popular rookie card would be a full card Bob Welch card number 318 $1 to $2.50 so that is your uh very un very uh, unimpressive rookie gang uh, from 1979 tops baseball. Ozzy obviously would stand out in any set, but it's even more of a glaring difference uh, in this set. Let's head over to the judgment zone. If you guys don't mind, I'm going to talk about a couple players here in their cards. Uh, pop them up on my screen. Don Stanhouse of the Orioles pitcher. Again, probably another uh, World Series recipient here, but he looks like he is... Uh, Accidentally made it to clown school without his clown makeup. Uh, Chris Spire breaks one of the unwritten rules of baseball by posing on the front of a card with a glove in a crouched position, ready to receive a ball with a batting glove on his right hand. Uh, bad on you, Chris Spire. 
Uh, Bob Sykes looks like uh, Tug McGraw's Nutrisystem before picture. I'm sure uh, maybe it's just the, I mean, he looks like Tug McGraw to me, but looks like Tug McGraw, you know, after a few milkshakes. Phil Necro, uh, it looks like the guy who hands you three arrows or three darts at a carnival and tells you uh, what prize you'll win if you pop a balloon. And, of course, I've put up there an Oscar Gamble picture. Oscar Gamble is wearing, that again, that that Ray Kroc um, McDonald's slash Padres uniform. And uh, I'm not judging uh, Oscar Gamble. I just think Oscar Gamble looks awesome, and I never hesitate to bring him up while I can. So um, let's stop talking about baseball cards, and we're going to start talking about baseball. I may have went backwards here in my um, traditional sense here, um, but let's talk a little bit about the baseball season itself. Uh, January 23rd of 1979, Will Mays receives 409 of the 432 votes in the Baseball Writers Association of America election to earn enshrinement into the Baseball Hall of, Flame, Hall of Fame. Not Hall of Flame, Hall of Fame. Uh, so Willie would be the only player elected uh, that year by the writers. Uh, two, two people would be elected by the Veterans Committee, Warren Giles, uh, Red's general manager and the National League president for probably 18, 19 years, and the father of Bill Giles, who brought a few trophies to South Philadelphia for the Phillies. And Hack Wilson was also elected by the Veterans Committee. Um, of course, uh, as mentioned, he has the single-season RBI record at 191, held the NL home run record for uh, at 56 for about 68 years. I think from 1930 he hit that until uh, McGuire and Sosa's uh, glorious summer of 1998. Again, Willie was the only one elected. Um, Duke Snyder and Enos Slaughter were on the ballot. Drysdale, Fox, Nellie Fox, Hoyt Wilhelm, Red Shanist, Jim Bunning, Rich Ashburn, Louis Aparicio, and Bill Mazeroski also had various uh, amounts of votes during that um, that year. Uh, and would eventually get elected into the Hall of Fame. 71.3% was what Duke Snyder had. I believe he needed 75%. Gil Hodges came in fourth that year, but uh, still has not made it to the Baseball Hall of Fame. Um, yeah, that was, they were they were eventually enshrined uh, August 5th, 1979 in Cooperstown. Uh, February 3rd of January. Sorry, I, I diverged a little there. February 3rd, the Minnesota Twins traded Rod Crew to the California Angels for Ken Landro, Dave Engel, Paul Hartzell, and Brad Havens. This is the first, in his first season with the Angels. He helps the new team reach the post time for the postseason for their first time in their history. Batted over 300 for the next five seasons, and was selected to the next six American League All Star teams. Um, Umpire strike, April 1979. Uh, umpire strike begins with all umpires walking the picket lines except two, one from each league who worked the opening day with replacement and amateur umpires before leaving for the picket line. So those two eventually uh, joined their brothers on the picket line. April 7th, Ken Forsh of the uh, Houston Astros pitches a no-hitter against the Atlanta Braves. Uh, at that time, it marks the earliest calendar date for a no-hitter in Major League history which stands until Hideo Nomo's no-hitter on April 4th in 2001. This also makes him and Bob Forsh, who hurled a no-hitter in 1978, the first brothers in Major League history to both pitch no-hit games during their careers. April 10th, Houston Astros pitcher J.R. Reed fires six wild pitches in a game. I've spoken about J.R. Reed before. Imagine uh, not knowing whether he's going to throw a 100-mile-an-hour fastball 
down the middle of the plate or whether he's going to throw it in the middle of your back. Uh, pretty scary stuff there. I guess that adds to to uh, that's all part of the game. Uh, May 15th, the umpire strike is settled, uh, effective uh, May 18th. So the umpires gain pay, pay raises and additional vacation time and the addition of another crew. Um, but eight of those minor league umpires who worked during the strike were promoted to the major leagues, causing dissension and ostracizing of the replacements, whom the regular umpires referred to as scabs. I kind of remember that probably being the first time I heard that term. Okay, May 17th. Here's a big one, folks. Dave Kingman of the Chicago Cubs hits three home runs, and Mike Schmidt of the Philadelphia Phillies hits two, the second of which proves to be the game winner in a 10th inning, in inning as the Phillies beat the Cubs 23-22 to at Wrigley Field. Bill Buckner had a grand slam and seven RBIs. The game included a then-record 11 home runs and 50 hits. I do remember that vividly. That was awesome. Uh, the wind was blowing out in the friendly confines, as Harry Callis would say. Uh, June 8th, uh, the Kansas City Royals used their fourth pick in the draft on Dan Marino. Again, this is 1979, folks. In the 17th round, they also selected Stanford's John Elway. Neither player would sign with the Royals. So let's talk a little bit about that draft. Imagine uh, a team that drafted both Elway and Marino and uh didn't get a championship until the 20 teens many years later uh that draft was held uh june 5th and 7th 1979 via a conference call and um there were 26 first round selections in that draft so the 26 teams obviously first selection was al chambers out of uh, harrisburg pa not too far from where i am we never heard of him from from that point on Taken in that draft were uh, Andy Van Slyke in the sixth pick, Tim Wallach on the tenth, uh, a couple other guys, uh, Steve Howe, infamous for many things, Atlee Hammaker. They were all stars, but uh, really, no uh, no greats were picked in that year, 1979. Uh, later rounds, we had Milt Thompson picked in the second round again, Dan Marino in the fourth, um, Harold Reynolds in the sixth, Yvonne Hayes in the seventh, Johnny Ray, good pitcher. Pit, uh, Good player, uh, infielder for the uh, Pirates. He was a 12th rounder. Bud Black, 17th rounder. Oral Hershiser was picked in a 17th round as well by the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, John Elway again in the 18th round. Don Mattingly was picked in the 19th round of the 1979 draft, 493rd overall. Um, Brett Butler was picked in the 23rd round, uh, 573rd overall. And the Phillies, not to be outdone by the uh, Chiefs, uh, picked Kurt Warner in the 32nd round, 784th pick overall. Kurt Warner, of course, was a Penn Stater who would play for uh, running back for Seattle. So that's your draft. Uh, Moving on here, um, guess who hired uh, a new manager on June 12th? That would be the Detroit Tigers hired Sparky Anderson as their manager. Sparky, of course, would lead um, the Uh, Mighty Tigers to a world championship in 1984. Uh, June 24th of 1979 in a 5-1 loss to the Rangers, Ricky Henderson debuts for the Oakland Athletics. He singles and doubles the first of his over 3,000 career hits and steals for his first of over 1,400 stolen bases. That's June 24th, 1979. Tops didn't see that coming or didn't feel like they needed to put him on a baseball card with the rookie prospects that year. July 12th, the uh, Detour Tigers win the first game of a scheduled doubleheader against the Chicago White Sox, 
four to one. Hopefully you guys can see what's coming here. This was Disco Demolition Night at Chicago's Comiskey Park. Thousands of young fans swarmed onto the field between games, damaging the field and causing mayhem throughout the stadium. The White Sox are forced to forfeit the second game. I think I spoke about that in my dad facts elsewhere in another podcast. Uh, July 17th was the All-Star Game, and the NL wins its eighth straight um, All-Star Game 7-6 in Seattle. Lee Mazzilli hits a home run to tie the game in the eighth and walks in the ninth to bring in the winning run. Dave Parker, with two outstanding throws, is named MVP, and Pete Rose plays a record five All-Star positions. Uh, Dave Parker, uh, right fielder for the Pirates, uh, was as lethal with his arm as he was with his bat, uh, as was proven in that All-Star game. All right, folks, uh, July 24th, and the reason I'm wearing this shirt today, uh, Boston Boston's Carly Stremski hits his 400th home run off Oakland A's pitcher Mike Morgan uh, in the seventh inning of the Red Sox 7-3 win over the Athletics at Fenway Park. 400 homers for Yaz. Love it. Um, let's see here. On August 2nd, the Chicago White Sox announced that Don Kessinger had been fired as manager and that he will be replaced by rookie manager Tony LaRusso. It's 1979. It's 2021. And guess who the manager of the White Sox is? Uh, of course, uh, uh, August 2nd was also the day that uh, Thurman Munson was killed in a in a plane crash in his hometown. Uh, I, I actually referenced that on episode 23 last week. So, uh, you know, on August 2nd, or on August 3rd, 51,000 mourners attended a memorial service for uh, Thurman Munson. Uh, August 6th, the entire Yankees team flies to Canton, Ohio. And uh, hours later, the team returns to New York City and defeats the Baltimore Orioles 5-4 at Yankee Stadium before a viewing audience on ABC's Monday Night Baseball. Uh, Bobby Mercer, who was one of Munson's best friends, drives in all five runs with a three-run homer in the seventh and a two-run single in the bottom of the ninth. Sounds like a walk-off to me. Uh, what a what a tribute to uh, the fallen Yankee. Uh, on August 13th, the St. Louis Cardinals' Lou Brock slashes his 3,000th hit off the hand of Chicago Cubs pitcher Dennis Lamp. Uh, Cardinals win 3-2 at Bush Memorial Stadium. August 29th, uh, in his first pitching appearance in the major leagues in his 11-year career, Kansas City Royal player Jerry Terrell, Terrell entered the game in relief against the New York Yankees and got three outs on just three pitches in the ninth inning. Pretty impressive for your first uh, your first tosses off the off the rubber, uh, three outs, three pitches. September twelfth again. We're talking about Carl Michael Yastrzemski, and he records his three thousandth career hit, a single off of New York's Yankees pitcher Jim Beatty. Uh, Yaz would be the first player in American League history with four hundred home runs and three thousand hits with that uh, single. Uh, let's see here. Uh, September fifteenth is part of a two. 10-2 win over the Baltimore Orioles. The Red Sox' Bob Watson hits for the cycle. Having done it for the Houston Astros, he is the first player to do this in both leagues. And uh, September 17th, George Brett hits his 20th triple of the season. He is the first player since Willie Mays in 1957 to join the 20-20-20 club. September 23rd, Lou Brock steals the 938th base of his career, breaking Billy Hamilton's all-time National League record, Brock's. St. Louis Cardinals defeat the New York Mets 7-4. Uh, 
kind of have a problem with that because the 79 tops card said that he held both the uh, season and the career record. I guess, uh, I don't know who Billy Hamilton was, but perhaps he uh, played before uh, the modern history, probably, probably in the 1800s maybe. September 24th, Pete Rhodes collects his 200th of the season, giving him 10 seasons with at least, at least 200 hits, and this breaks Ty Cobb's record. Uh, September 28th, Gary Templeton, who was traded for Ozzie Smith, like we said, playing for the Cardinals, collects his 100th hit of the season while batting right-handed, having already collected 100 hits while batting left-handed. Templeton is the first player in history to accomplish this. He had batted right-handed exclusively for the last week of the season to get the needed hits. Uh, postseason here. Okay, none of the teams from 77 or 78 would return to this year's postseason. I know the Phillies and probably the Dodgers were the National League teams, and uh, the Yankees and I guess it would be the Red Sox one year. No, not the Red Sox. Anyway, the Yankees and whoever came out of the West, uh, they didn't make it. Uh, game seven of the World Series, Willie Stargell hits his third home run of the series to send the Pittsburgh Pirates to the third straight win over the Baltimore Orioles to win the World Series championship. That's on October 17th. Stargell wins the series MVP honors as the Pirates came back from a deficit of three games to one. This was a rematch of the 71 World Series. Um, November 13th, for the first time ever, there uh, was co-MVPs, and that was in the National League. Keith Hernandez of the Cardinals shared it with Willie Stargell of uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates. Stargell is the oldest person to win this award, and that's since been broken by Barry Bonds in 2004. The Pirates have thus won or shared all four most valuable player awards for the season, which is All-Star Game, Dave Parker, National League Championship Series, World Series, I think that's Stargell, and uh, National League Regular Season, Stargell again, I believe, obviously. Uh, This is the first such sweep again in Major League history. Um, Yeah, so again, uh, Parker won the All-Star MVP and Stargell won the season, the NLCS, as well as the World Series. Um, rookie of the year would have been John Castino with the Twins uh, and Alfredo Griffin. Uh, they tied for the Rookie of the Year award. So uh, there was a change in the system after that, so the two players could not win that award. But as with the NL MVP, the AL Rookie of the Year was shared. And uh, Rick Sutcliffe wins the NL Rookie of the Year solid there in, in his rookie year, 17-10 and 10 record for a sub-500 team, so um, he received 20 out of the 24 votes. Your league standings that year in 1979 were the uh, AL East, were Baltimore uh, eight games over the Brewers, 11.5 over the Red Sox, 13.5 over the Yankees, um, 18 over the Tigers, 22 over the Indians, and 50.5 games ahead of the Toronto Blue Jays. Orioles had a 102-57 and record. Big divisions there, right? That's uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven teams in that division. The AL was loaded with 14 teams, and the NL with 12 teams. Over in the AL West, we had the um, Angels, Royals, uh, Angels over the Royals by three games. The Royals were a solid team. Those were the, that was the team that came out of the West in the 77 and 78 seasons. Texas Rangers, uh, five games back. Twins, six games back. White Sox, 14 games back. The Mariners, 21 games back. And the Athletics continued their descent in the 70s uh 34 games back um angels had an 88 and 74 record which isn't that impressive but they was enough to win that division uh in the nl east uh you had your pirates and uh, expos two games behind them 
12 games behind them were uh, behind the Pirates with the Cardinals. The Phillies were 14 back, the Cubs 18 back, and the Mets 35 games back. Uh, Pittsburgh Pirates went 95, 98 and 64. Uh, Cincinnati Reds went 90 and 71, kind of the last um, thrust of the uh, Reds in the 70s there. Uh, they finished a game and a half ahead of the Astros, uh, 11 and a half ahead of the Dodgers, 19 and a half ahead of the Giants. Padres were 22 games back, and the Braves were 23 and a half games back. Uh, so what you had there was the Orioles over the Angels, three games to one in the ALCS, and Pittsburgh uh, swept the Cincinnati Reds three games to nil, and again the World Series four games to three went to the Pirates. Pirates winning three in a row. Uh, most valuable player was Don Baylor of the California Angels. As I mentioned previously, I love Don Baylor. Uh, Willie Stargell and Keith Hernandez, NL MVPs, co-winners. Cy Young Award winner was Mike Flanagan of the Baltimore Orioles and Bruce Souter of the uh, Chicago Cubs. Hey, I mentioned Sam Stewart may have won a couple of championships. Obviously, that's not right. Maybe he was around in 83. I forgot the Orioles lost in 79. Uh, rookie of the Year again, John Castino and Alfredo Griffin in the American League and Rick Sutcliffe in the National League. Uh, statistical leaders, let's talk a little bit about those guys. AL batting average was Freddie Lynn, 333. Uh, Keith Hernandez in the National League for the Cardinals, 344. Home runs, Gorman Thomas for the Brew Crew, 45. Dave Kingman, 48. RBI is 139 by Don Baylor and 118 by Dave Winfield. Uh, wins 23 by Mike Flanagan of the Orioles. Uh, Joe Negro and Phil Negro both had 21 wins to lead the NL. How cool is that? Ron Guidry led the AL in uh, DRA 278. James Rodney Richard uh, 271 in the NL. Strikeouts Nolan Ryan 223 in the AL and J.R. Richard 313 in the NL. Uh, saves Mike Marshall. Wow, he continued to save games, this time for the Twins, 32 games. Uh, Bruce Souter, 37 games. Stolen base leader was Willie Wilson with 83, and Omar Moreno uh, would defend his title with 77. Uh, Gold Glove winners, yeah, you probably don't want to hear about that, but um, usual Cecil Cooper maybe, uh, Frank White, Buddy Bell, Rick Burleson, uh, Dwight Evans, Fred Lynn, Sixto Lascano, Jim Sundberg, and Jim Palmer. Some fresh faces in there for sure. Uh, NL, Keith Fernandez obviously was great with his glove and his bat. Uh, Manny Trio, Mike Schmidt, Dave Concepcion, Gary Maddox, the Secretary of Defense, as we called him, Dave Parker, Dave Winfield, Bob Boone, and Phil Negro with the uh, Atlanta Braves as your pitching NL Gold Glove winner. Let's talk a little bit about something else real quick here, if you don't mind, before we go. Boy, I can spin a yarn, can I? Uh, here's here's some attendance facts from 1979. Uh, the Dodgers uh, would often draw over 3 million people. Uh, they drew 2.8 million in 79, average of 35,000 a game, which is uh, about 14.5% less than they, nor- they normally would. Phillies had an off year on the field, but in the stands they uh, had the second most uh, highest attendance at 34 thousand plus a game uh coming in around almost 2.8 million as well yankees were third 31,000 a game angels 31,000 a game and the reds with 29,000 a game um all the way down to the a's again the a's kind of stunk right so they were drawing uh 3,700 people a game in uh 1979 i mean the braves were drawing 9,700 the mets 9,600 uh it's it's scary how few people would show up at these massive stadiums. Shea was a big stadium when it was empty, that's for sure. 
Oakland Coliseum, same thing, even though even before the addition, the center field, Mount Davis center field, uh, it was still a massive stadium far away from the action. So I'm sure these people felt like they were all alone out there. Um, yeah, so that's that. Uh, attendance, again, went from average anywhere from 3,700 to 35,000. Uh, look at the Montreal Expos. We're drawing close to uh, 26,000 a game in the big O back then. A uh, couple notable retirements were uh, Ho- Jesus Alou retired uh, following the 79 season. Jesus Alou was the last of the Alou brothers, Matty, Felipe, and, uh, or Felipe Alou and Jesus Alou. They would appear on cards in the 60s and 70s uh, in, a, in, a, in an amazing frequency. Um, Jesus, though, would hang on um, even though he retired from the game. His uh, last card wasn't until the following year with the 1980 Astros. So he... Uh, went out of uh, baseball cards, uh, kicking and screaming. Lou Brock uh, retired, and it was his uh, final card, his 1979 Tops issue. Catfish Hunter also retired due to arm woes. Uh, same thing, last card, 1979 Yankee card. And uh, George Boomer Scott, uh, he retired as well. Uh, played for several teams. He was released, I think, by the Red Sox in the 79 season, but um, his final card would be a Yankees card in 19. 19- 80. So that wraps it up. That's our 1979 Tops um, review, the baseball season review. Uh, again, the set is kind of, huh, you know, I don't think anybody's going to claim that the 79 Tops set is their favorite baseball card set. Um, there's maybe some sentimentality. The set I have behind me right over there is, uh, is in binders, and I pulled those every card of those out of the pack. Uh, so, uh, you know, Still have that, but I don't really, uh, you know, fawn over the thing. Um, kind of again running on E, I think tops was at the end of the 70s. So, anyway, thanks for listening again. Um, I'm uh, at 70s card on Twitter, uh, that 70s card show at gmail.com if you want to get a hold of me there, and of course, that 70s card show on YouTube. Uh, join me there again midweek where we'll do a mail day. And uh, as always, uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, Enjoy your collecting and enjoy your collection. And uh, that's all. Thanks, guys. Bye.